You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one podcast for all things communication, advertising, and marketing. I'm your host, Ted Lau, award-winning agency owner, podcaster, and full-time dad. Today, we have with us Nancy Andrews, Vice President of Communications and Government Relations at Canada's Ocean Supercluster. Together with her team, Nancy is responsible for building the story, raising awareness, and helping build momentum around Canada's ocean opportunity and the incredible potential for growth. Nancy is a graduate of Memorial University of Newfoundland and Labrador and has worked in communication roles for more than 20 years in both Ontario and... In her home province, Newfoundland and Labrador, across the public and private sectors, and she has previously been recognized by her peers for excellence in business development as a communicator of the year in Newfoundland and Labrador. When she's not working, she loves spending time cooking and can often be found at the racetrack with her son and husband. Nancy, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. So I think you're actually one of the first, if not the first... Newfoundland and Labrador guests. So we're really happy and excited to have you on the show. I'm super excited to represent for sure. And so maybe tell us what's going on with the Ocean Supercluster, because in our pre-show, you just mentioned that, oh, we we have an announcement and you had to do it over, over Zoom. So maybe you want to share about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So I don't know if it's helpful. Maybe I can take a step back for a second. And and anyone that maybe not be so familiar with the Ocean Supercluster, maybe could just kind of start yeah. with what it what it is to start with. So we look back at 2018, the federal government decided that they really wanted to take a forward-looking approach to innovation. And from that, the Innovation Supercluster program came to be. And from that, there were five superclusters established. And so of that, one of them was the Ocean Supercluster. And so we are an industry-led, pan-Canadian cluster of close to 450 organizations who are really focused on changing the way ocean business is done. So, okay, so changing the way ocean business is done, what does that mean, right? Mm -hmm. So what that means is really bringing together different ocean sectors in a way that just hasn't been done before. So we've got fisheries, aquaculture, energy, bioresources, defense, transport, ocean tech, all these different sectors and companies of all sizes, in addition to the research community, in addition to um, regional innovation hubs, investors, coming together to really kind of change the way that we're doing things. And that's through digitalization of the ocean, greater inclusive opportunities in ocean growth, and sustainable solutions. That's obviously so important and so top of mind for people as we look at not just ocean productivity, but also ocean health and how that goes hand in hand. So that's that's a bit of a, a nutshell. Hopefully that's a little bit helpful for a little bit of background there. Yeah, so today we just announced our 38th project. We've got 64 approved to date, so about $320 million in projects approved so far. The one today is pretty cool. It's led by partners out of Nova Scotia and Newfoundland, and it's a rope-on-command fishing system. And basically helps, this is the communications kind of description, I'm not the technical expert, but helps reduce entanglement and and some of the threats to ocean species that puts some of these species at risk. And so really excited to kind of see this come to fruition. It is an Atlantic Canadian-led project. 
But certainly across our portfolio of projects, we've got kind of coast to coast to coast collaborations happening and across a whole bunch of different sectors. So lots going on, lots to be excited about, but also a lot more to do. That is super exciting. I think it's very timely here out in the West Coast. We've just, I'm sure you've heard on the news, the BC province has declared a state of emergency because of the floods that happened over the last few days. And so wanted to understand how a lot of the stuff that you're talking about, you said defense, I heard actually is one of the descriptions, but the climate change must be on the forefront. So you, know, you, you have a great job. You get to announce all these cool projects. So are there any other projects you want to talk about that maybe gives us a little bit of optimism that in fact, we are trying to combat climate change and, and find ways to, to fix all these problems? Yeah, so maybe what I'll do again, and sorry, this feels like a little bit of a trend now, but if I can take a step back for a second, mm-hmm. I think it feels timely. So if we look, you know, COP26 just kind of wrapped mm-hmm. up. And I think going into it, and one of the key things that at least we felt happened through that kind of global discussion was the role of ocean in climate change is much more front and center than a lot of people realized. In Canada, we have the world's largest carbon sink in, in the North Atlantic Ocean. And the ocean absorbs more carbon than the rainforest. So we all grew up thinking, you know, oh, more than the Amazon. That's right. Absolutely. And so that's a really important job to do. Right. And then of that, Canada has the largest carbon sink in the ocean. So, you know, making sure that our oceans can continue to do that job is very important. So that's kind of one part of the conversation there. And so then we look at we need to be able to move people and goods. Right. We need to be able to feed the world. And we know that the demand for protein is increasing. We know that we need to generate energy to do the things that we need to do in our daily lives. And then that's all kind of wrapped up in the the discussion of climate change. So how do we do those things, but also really contribute to that path to decarbonization and Canada's goals to reaching net zero? And so a lot of our projects are actually directly contributing to that journey. And so... There's a lot that we could talk about, but maybe one I could touch on from like a thematic perspective is if you look at marine transportation, for example, emitter of carbon emissions, right? And so it's also one of the most efficient ways to move people and goods worldwide. So not a Canada problem, global problem. And so we have a suite of projects that are directly providing solutions for now and then also longer term to help reduce some of the emissions. So, for example, we have our first Alberta-led ocean supercluster project. So never thought maybe we'd have an Alberta-led. Alberta-led. I don't think they have a coast if last time I checked my geography. (laughs) It doesn't matter. Ocean matters to everybody, right? So Mm -hmm. this project called Project Orca, they are focused on a transitionary green fuel. So basically that requires no retrofitting. It's being tested right now. And so basically it allows significant reduction in emissions and can you know, kind of act as that transition between now with significant reduced emissions to where we want to be in the future, which is kind of, you know, the full on electrification and carbon neutral solutions that will take a little bit more time, I think. So there's that. And that's really exciting to see because it's something that we can start doing now. Another one uh, which we have, which is kind of in the middle of that, which is a hybrid solution. So split motor propulsion and diesel. So again, reducing reliance on diesel and then kind of the full-on electrification of vessels. So 
Corvus Energy is leading a project. So from Mount West, one of our Western Canada-led projects. And so they're really looking at battery storage and how do we make it viable for larger vessels, so ferries and, and large kind of shipment vessels to be electrified. And so that's really exciting. And so certainly kind of a full spectrum of solutions, but just an example of some of the stuff that we're seeing. One other, if I can just mention really quickly, is there's a small company out of Nova Scotia doing great things. They're leading a project that it deals with vessel coatings. And basically, it's a graphene nanotechnology and it reduces kind of leaching in the water. So not only does it prevent toxins getting in the water, but it also increases the efficiency of the vessel. And so Transport Canada actually just did a little bit of testing with them and found that it reduced fuel consumption by 20%. That's huge, right? So now we're testing that on larger vessels, but these are things that it feels really good to be kind of a part of. And it's really incredible to see what happens when you see the collaboration of these different sectors and different companies that might not have ever kind of worked together before. So lots happening, but that's certainly a bit of a slice of some of the, the solutions that we're seeing coming through the work. That's very exciting. I mean, it must be very rewarding to come to work and be so optimistic and have these, you know, a lot of people, you know, Monday must be pretty dreary. It's November and all this kind of stuff. And here you are. You have these great solutions that you're talking about all the time. And I mean, my folks, they love their cruise ships and they, they can't do cruise ships now because of the pandemic. And I remember thinking, man, those, those are probably terrible for climate change, right? Lots of fuel, lots of food, all these people and all that kind of stuff. And I'm wondering, you know, now, you know, there's Tesla, all the, the automotive cars are, are charging, you know, going for EV and, and there's Rivian. Is there going to be a Tesla Rivian version of, of cruise ships? <laughs> You know what? You never know. But there's a lot of smart people thinking about solutions. And it's really cool to see a lot of those smart people in Canada bringing those solutions to the world. So yeah, I think we'll see a lot of that. I mean, I think we can't underestimate how important the conversation is around climate change, around the blue economy. It's one of the most important moments, I think, in our time to figure this thing out. But there is also a lot of hope because there's just really brilliant people who are coming up with fantastic technology and innovation to really tackle this stuff. So there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic too, I think. That's fantastic. I was starting to think, you know, like, so I chose to be vegan this year, just from a dietary perspective, primarily because of health. And then now I've been hearing from my friends and, and some clients that are, they're smarter than me anyway, they're much more pro climate change. And they're telling me, oh, you know, just by being vegan, you're being able to help with the environment, um, you know, lowers your carbon footprint. Now, when you're talking about the ocean. I didn't know this until this very conversation that this carbon sink actually takes on more carbon, takes in more carbon than the Amazon. Is there anything that regular Canadians can do when it comes to, because like, you know, I can go and clean up the park or whatever. I can go recycle. I can, you know, all those kinds of things, but I don't have a boat, you know, to, to go and, and do anything around the ocean. Is there anything that you guys communicate about? Well, so probably a little bit out of my focus day to day, but if, if human activity is creating carbon that needs to be absorbed, so that doesn't need to be related to the ocean, the ocean's still absorbing a lot of that, right? So anything that we're doing, whether you're by the ocean or not, that impacts the carbon that needs to be absorbed by the ocean and the pressures in the ocean, but vice versa, you know, some of the things that we're doing in the ocean also benefits people, whether you're on the coast or inland as well. So it's definitely something that we're working to do to help Canadians understand that, you know, Canada is absolutely an ocean nation, 
but a lot of Canadians probably don't identify with that. But for a lot of reasons, from a carbon perspective, from an economic perspective, it actually really matters to to all of us, regardless of where we live. What about the Arctic? Are you guys doing any projects? I'm assuming you are because you said coast to coast to coast. The only thing I know about the Arctic is it's very cold. The glaciers are melting. And apparently we have some kind of flag war with like six other nations up at the North Pole. And we we always like move the flags around. Are you doing anything up there? Yes. So the Arctic, certainly from a climate perspective, I guess just to continue on our last conversation, not an expert, but I certainly know that they are experiencing significant ice melt. The impacts of climate change are being felt there more in an accelerated way. And so that is something that is impacting their lives, you know, day to day. We have a number of projects actually that involve organizations from the Arctic. And so once kind of on the innovation ecosystem side of things, we are working with students on ice. So basically, they're helping young Canadians identify or see opportunities for themselves in the ocean. And so really, it's through this project called Blue Futures Pathways. And so it specifically targets Indigenous youth, but also youth more broadly. And so there's a digital portal there available for young people. It helps provide mentorship opportunities, resources and tools. And so really kind of targeted to the Arctic, but also other parts of the country to really kind of open up that conversation, help people see themselves in the future of the ocean in Canada and how they can make a meaningful contribution. Another one that is kind of on the more technology leadership side of things is a really cool project, actually, that the Nunavut Fisheries Association is involved in. And it's basically a really cool project dealing with ocean DNA. And so in the past, to understand, you know, what's in our water, what's happening in our water, sometimes that could be very cumbersome, you know, even physical sampling to understand what's there. And so that could be really timely, costly, and just prohibitive in in terms of getting as much data and being able to share it the way we'd like to. So this project, just through the sampling of of water, can tell you what species is in there from bacteria to whales, whatever it might be. And so that's really interesting and helping understand kind of the movement and and presence of of species in the water, especially if you're looking at if there's change in behavior due to rising temperatures or whatever it might be. So that's a really cool project, obviously highly relevant to the Arctic as well. And so that's a partnership that's happening there. So lots of really great work happening kind of coast to coast and both on the kind of skills development and ecosystem building side of things, but also then on the technology leadership side of things. And that really kind of goes hand in hand. So then what happens with the project? So I understood and heard about the superclusters because my agency, Ballistic Arts, has done some website work for the Canadian Digital Technology Supercluster, and I know about them through, through our work. And from what I understand is there's funding from the government where companies, large and small, are partnering up to do these great projects. But then what happens? Once the project is over, is the idea to monetize these, to grow these to scale? Or is it, oh, we're done. We've done the sample and and we got, you know, how how does that go? Yeah. So maybe the first thing I'll say is that we're actually industry led. So obviously it stems from a a government program, but at least 50% of every project is funded by a non-government source. So by an industry or business partner. So that's kind of the first part. The second part is the focus of what we're doing is accelerated innovation and commercialization. So there has to be kind of a market. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation and partnership. 
we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. A market need and demand that's not being met. And so that is part of the story. And so, you know, we are certainly seeing through these projects, not only the establishment of new partnerships, but certainly the establishment and growth of companies. Last year, if we look at, well, COVID is still happening, but when we were kind of in the thick of things, everybody was impacted by the pandemic, but ocean sectors a lot, like there was a lot of impact there. But some of these projects really, so we announced more projects during the pandemic than like our existence. There was, I think about 40 projects we've announced since the pandemic started. So Hmm. it really points to the resiliency of these sectors and entrepreneurs and who are willing to kind of look at what they can do. And we've had small companies not only come to us and say, look, we've survived because of the project that that we were able to kind of be a part of or lead, but we've actually been hiring and scaling up. And like, this has just been a time of real growth. So that's certainly part of the projects. But what we're doing is building a Canadian network that's really going to position Canada as a global leader in the ocean economy. So this isn't kind of a, you know, a stop and start kind of thing. We're really just getting started. And if you look back to where we were, even a year and a half ago, we've tripled in size in terms of membership. And so our presence, certainly from an international perspective, is is increasing. And, and the brand of Canada's Ocean Supercluster certainly has a level of recognition there that is pretty exciting. And we're, we're forming more and more international partnerships. So I would say that this is a journey and and I'm really happy to kind of be a part of building the parade. Like we're having more people kind of come on and, and, and you know, there's a learning along the way. Obviously, this is something new, but there's so much more to do. And I'd say that these projects are really the starting point. So let's get back to, you know, backtracking a little bit further about 20 years ago when you first started your career. And, you know, you have an English degree from what you told me. And it sounds like you moved into comms. And did you think that you were going to get into, you know, an area like this? And and were you always working for organizations that were purpose-led? Because not a lot of people have the ability to do exciting work like you do every day. 
Yeah. So, I mean, it was interesting not to go back too far, but I know when I went to university, I wasn't entirely sure what I wanted to do. I knew that I could write, I could communicate with people. And and so those were what I felt were my natural strengths. I really actually wanted to do business, but I was terrible at math. So I I did a business minor, which was not a great choice because I just ended up having to do almost as much math for prerequisites. I also did a lot of work in Russian, which was super interesting. Russian? Um, Yeah. I wanted to do a different language, but I haven't used it since, unfortunately. Mm. But yeah, so I mean, I think at that point in time, the late 90s, I know that people like Pierre wasn't really kind of thing so much. Mm. Like it was not the whole role of communications and organizations was not as defined as it is today. And so it actually took someone saying to me, I was looking at law school, right? And so someone said to me, you know what, you should really think about this. It was someone working in Toronto. They're like, you should think about this. So I, I went actually and did a postgraduate program at Seneca at York, just a year, a year program. But it was enough to kind of open some doors for me and then realized to do this, which as soon as I started doing it, I thought, okay, here we go. This is what I want to do. I knew I had to stay in Toronto for a while to kind of get that experience in, in a big city and just really kind of learn how to deal with media in a big competitive space where you don't know everybody and learn to grow and succeed in that space. And then knew that eventually I'd, you know, I'd come back to Newfoundland with those skills in hand. And so that kind of worked as planned in terms of purpose-driven organizations or jobs. Yeah. I mean, I would say that I'm certainly drawn to those opportunities. You know, I think I kind of said before where I get to be part of building a parade or momentum or, or something towards a thing that's going to be important to people or make a difference in people's lives. And so not every role has been centered around that. There's been some learning along the way of what I love and what I don't. So like event planning, for example, some people are just brilliant at that and, and I can get it done, but not my favorite thing. I did a lot of crisis communications for a while and I enjoyed that, but I feel like you could do that for a period of time and then it's kind of time to move into something that's, you know, it feels a little different. It's hard to kind of be at this level for an extended period of time. Eventually, it's nice to kind of move on to something that's um, positive, or at least that was in my experience. So yeah, I mean, the opportunity to really kind of make a difference and get in at the ground is something like I love building something up. So for example... In 2011, I was working in agency for a number of years when I'd moved back to Newfoundland. And in 2011, I had the opportunity to help national public relations open their office and establish it here in Newfoundland. And so that was super fun. I kind of got to do everything with like dealing with the city on permits (laughs) to like building up, you know, a client roster. Literally building a parade. Yeah. And that was a lot of fun. I learned a lot of things. And, uh, Being connected to a national organization was great, too, because I got to kind of draw on some of the other experiences I had had when working in Toronto. So, I mean, you know, varied experience, but those jobs where I felt like I really made an impact were those that were really kind of focused on this kind of greater purpose. So it sounds like you definitely got out of your comfort zone and you cut your teeth a little when it comes to the experiences and career journeys What advice would you give somebody that's entering their career now in in PR or in comms or in GR? Yeah, so I guess one of the things I would say is the same thing everyone says, but it doesn't mean it's not true, is, is finding a really great mentor. And then after being mentored, to make sure you find an opportunity to mentor someone else. 
I've had a few over the course of my career that really just helped me focus, challenged me when I was perhaps not approaching or considering something maybe the way that I should be, and really just kind of keeping me grounded was just huge. You're not always going to get it right in your career, but having someone that you can be pretty open with and knows you and and can also draw on their experience to help you steer in the right direction is just so important, especially in you know your first five or 10 years of your career. And the other piece I would say is I actually, in my very first job, I worked for the city of Brampton right out of school. And I had a one-year contract. And I remember the vice president of public affairs at that time when I finished, he kind of said to me, like, tons of opportunity for you. It's competitive out there. I knew that I was competent in what I was doing, but knew that it was competitive. But he did say to me, he's like, the soft skills is what's going to make a difference for you in your career. And so I would say that don't underestimate how important soft skills are. Obviously, you need to be able to do a great job. But the soft skills I have found in my career really helps open up some doors that maybe, you know, might not be open otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. I think any leader needs to have those skills. I think more than anything, I think for those of us who have been around the block a few times, and I joke with clients and friends that, you know, I don't do anything on my agency anymore. I just, I'm not talented enough to do that. And in fact, all I'm doing is talking and being empathetic and using those soft skills and, and leading. In terms of mentors, how do you, any tips on how to find a mentor? Because I think some folks may not have a large network when they enter school or maybe they're going to a different city like you did? How did you find one and identify one that was going to work for you? Yeah. So, I mean, I think establishing yourself in a new career, certainly getting involved with Canadian Public Relations Society or IABC, one of those is always great because, you know, it's a ready-made network that's going to help you kind of get to know who's doing similar roles to you. There's likely going to be some sessions and, and resources there to connect with people. But also don't be afraid like through work or if you are introduced to someone who just really kind of seems to inspire you to do that outreach and kind of say, hey, like I'm looking for a mentor and and recognize you're busy, but here's what I have to offer and here's what I think about. And I'd love to be able to kind of understand your perspective if you're willing to give me 30 minutes of your time. And I've done that. And some of those ended up being some of the most rewarding mentorships and potentially, I can't say for certain, but I think that they also got something out of it too. So I would say certainly tap into those those associations and groups for kind of your like-minded peers, but also don't be afraid to reach out to somebody that you are inspired by. All they can say is, thanks for reaching out. I just, you know, I don't have the capacity to take that on. That's the worst thing that's going to happen. So it's it's worth going for it. Agreed. I have had many a mentor in, in my day as well. And I actually, in fact, that that piece of advice that you just gave about reaching out and being uncomfortable, being vulnerable, going, hey, I'm looking for this, has actually, you know, now, you know, I'm a little bit older and a little bit more seasoned. And I'm actually, in fact, the one mentoring some younger folks. And I look for that. I personally, because I know how tough it was, but then it was very rewarding to have that experience that when someone approaches me, you know, knowing how difficult that is, it makes me feel like, okay, I want to do something and, and help pay it forward as it were. Right. So uh, yeah, really good there. I just want to ask about like the geography, the fact that you're in Newfoundland, Labrador, right. It's it's, and we're like four hours away and, and whatnot in terms of your work, right. Given, you know, COVID and all that, do you find it any more difficult than us in the West coast doing work pan Canadian, or is there just kind of like, Hey, we're working all hours and, and it is what it is. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, in my role, I, I expect to kind of clock a fair amount of hours. So, so it's part of the job. I'm also an early riser. So I have to sometimes look at the clock and go, oh, geez, it's, you know, six o'clock or 530 my time. Perhaps I should probably should be sending something to Vancouver right now. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> that would be, I, I just go into bed. I just finished my <laughs> Netflix, my Narcos, and I'm going to bed now. Yeah. So it's, it's being mindful of that. Like, I think that that's something that I have to kind of just pause for a second and take a look and make sure that makes sense out of fairness to people. So, I mean, it means a little bit more kind of a later day sometimes, but it's worth it. One of my favorite things about my job is being able to kind of have that pan Canadian reach and really connect with people from across the country. It's just, it's really exciting. And being able to learn from people and build those partnerships and relationships is just so rewarding. So yeah, there's obviously a bit more of a time commitment there, but working virtually, I mean, you do have more flexibility as well. So if you need to get that walk in in the middle of the day to break it up, it's, Mm -hmm. it's a little easier than if you're in an office setting. So you're, you know, fairly up there now in in your career and your role, Maybe share with us a bit, some of the challenges that you see on a day-to-day that you're still learning. So we know that we're not all just superheroes, that we're human, and there are things that we're learning ourselves. Yeah, so I, I think you could probably appreciate this as well, I'm sure, in, in your work. You know, there's certainly ebbs and flows in what we do. And there's probably ebbs and flows in every job, but there's a lot of ebbs and flows. Like there's some really like just times where you're just like, you say to your family, like, see you in a few weeks. Ebbs and flows. This is like the ocean, like pun kind of like metaphor that you're giving me, yeah? yeah? <laughs> But yeah, and and that's actually part of the excitement of my job is, you know, and and jobs and communications is there's kind of times when you've just got to come together and make something happen. And then you kind of, you know, go back to the day to day. So to get to your question through that, you know, I've learned that it's just so important to take care of yourself. And I think that has come to light for people during COVID as well, or been magnified. And so I think that finding that half an hour to just kind of get some fresh air and clear your head is really important. If there's days when you have to just kind of sit there and get it done, you'll be far more productive with that break. So again, sounds so simple, but it is something I know but it requires discipline to do it because it's so easy to just kind of say, okay, I'm going to plow through this and get this done. This is just so important. Nothing else is important, but having the discipline to kind of just make sure you're okay, because the last thing you want is to kind of burn out and just, you know, have to kind of take time off completely to take care of yourself. Well, yeah, and I agree. And your team would suffer too. If you're gone for an extended period of time, because you're burnt out. And in fact, I, you're right. You know, I, I learned that when the beginning of COVID happened, oh, great, I'm at home, I'm at my desk, I'm doing work. And then all of a sudden, why is my stomach in, like, why does it hurt so much? And I kind of look up and it's like, oh, it's it's 3.45 in the afternoon. And I've sat here since eight, right? And so I haven't eaten, I haven't moved. Like, I don't think I had any water, you can go to the bathroom. And so I actually have to put in my schedule, eat, you know, yeah. in my in my schedule so that my staff don't just book me or clients book me so that I actually have time to, you know, go for a walk or, or make some food for myself. So absolutely, self-care is a great tip. So I wanted to, to ask our, our rapid fire round, ask a few questions, fun facts about Nancy and wanted to see if you'd play. Sure, why not? Okay, so what is your favorite regional snack? Regional? Oh, well, like, well, I don't know if it's a snack, but like fish and chips, obviously. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Is that like a, a very, I didn't know. I didn't know that's a Newfoundland Labrador thing. Yeah. Oh, like codfish. Oh yeah. Like that's like, you come here, it's the best fish and chips ever. Maybe some Ooh. other places will argue, but I'm, I'm born and bred Newfoundlander. And so nothing better for sure. 
And when you go to sleep, do you sleep on your back, your side, or your front? Left side, facing my phone. <laughs> facing your phone. That's not good. What if you get those late night texts from your coworkers? Then I know. <laughs> then you know. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, we're still learning that self-care, I guess. Are you into sports, rom-coms, sci-fi? Yeah, so I used to be a competitive swimmer for about 15 or 16 years, but not anymore. But now, actually, so my son, who's 13, he started race car driving this summer. They're like mini stock cars. So I guess that's kind of what we do in the summer now when we're not working. So I guess you could say I'm into that. I never imagined anyone would call me, you know, a member of a pit crew, but here I am. Are you actually a member of the pit crew? Like you're actually like pick up doing the tire changes or the fuel or whatever? It's more like emotional support. And more emotional support, <laughs> emotional fuel, emotional for fuel me, for, yeah. for a month. So, so how does, how old your son? He's 13. He's 13. And, yeah. and how did he convince you to be like, yo, mom, I, I want to race cars. I mean, no. I don't think my mom would have ever let me do that. So we went to the racetrack in May and he's been into cars forever. And so there's kind of different divisions, but it's like a NASCAR home track. And there is a division for kids up to 16. They do go about like 120 kilometers an hour. Like, so it's not slow. And so he wanted to do it. And I just basically said, oh, okay, well, I was like, look into it and see what you find out. And I didn't know he'd really kind of pursue it. He was on the phone to the racetrack and everybody else that, you know, they said he needed to call. And then he came to me, he's like, mom, we need to buy a car. And I was like, we need to buy a car. Is that what he just said? I am. I don't know. How much is a, as a, what do you call them? Stock cars? Cause I I watch F1, but this is different, right? This is like NASCAR. That's so it's Bandolero is his division. Like it's like a mini stock car. And so, yeah, I mean, they can be, you know, between four and $8,000 used. Okay. 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 Anyway, he hit the ground running, got some sponsors. And before we knew it, I couldn't say no. Like the kid just... He got some sponsors. Oh, he's keen. Yeah. You know, I mean, we helped, but he created his list and and did the letters and went and met with people. And so he he was determined. And I figured, you know, if he's this dedicated to this, how could we say no to that? So here we are. (laughs) <laughs> well, that's fantastic. I, yeah, I watch F1 and they talk about how expensive it gets as yeah, things go sponsors. on. And what, you yeah. need sponsors. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Definitely. That's the trick. Okay. Well, we're, yeah. unfortunately, this, this, this episode <laughs> is not sponsored by any of your son's race sponsors, but you know, maybe next time. Any favorite books or blogs or, or podcasts that you listen to um, you know, pertaining to comms? So this is going to sound really terrible. I just like when I'm done my work, I don't want to read anything else. Like, I just feel like I spend so much time. So that's a really honest answer. No, no, I'll take um, it. I'll take I, it. I just, I just don't really want to. So I like need to kind of just shut down. So I will admit like Netflix binge watching is mm-hmm. like, you know, downtime for me. So what are you watching? Not, but, so I'm, I'm desperately waiting for um, the next kind of like the Ozarks to come back. Yeah. Uh, love that. That's last season though, eh? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a few there like that, that I'd love to see. Better Call Saul. But uh, yeah. So Netflix when I can. Otherwise, can. it's a lot of work walking. Yeah. And, and actually, so whereabouts in Newfoundland Labrador are you? I'm in St. John's. So I'm in, in the capital city, yeah. And so it sounds like you go for walks. That's your thing. That's your be with Nancy time, right? So where do you walk? Is there like a, a park or a lake? Some, someplace oh, nice? There's tons of lakes and stuff. And it's not too far from the ocean. So like 
the nice part about St. John's is you're never really more than 15 minutes away from anything. And so if it's a nice Saturday and you want to go for a hike, you can hike along the coast. You know, it's literally jump in the car for five or 10 minutes and you're there. So it's really nice. It's a great place where you can, especially with increasing opportunities virtually and through technology, it's such a great place where you can have a great career, but also really have just a really great quality of life too. Like it just, I got to say like, uh, there was lots of things I loved about living in Ontario and Ontario is great. But when I came home, I was able to decompress in in a way that I didn't realize I needed to. So for me, being able to get that balance of, you know, working hard and doing meaningful work, but also being able to kind of step away from it when I need to and, and just kind of be in nature is is pretty awesome. Yeah, and I would imagine real estate prices are actually affordable where you are, not not out here in yeah. Vancouver. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they are. Yeah. What piece of advice that you've taken from one of your mentors on top of the soft skill one? Is there another piece that you kind of carry around that you still use today? Yes, there is one. I mean, I was probably a number of years back, five or six years ago, you know, when I started kind of be 10, 15 years, 15 years into my career, you know, you, you start to look at kind of where you want to go and where you want to progress and what your kind of long-term aspirations are. And so one of my mentors at the time, it just sounds so simple, but she just said, like, don't let anybody get in the way of what you want to achieve. And of course, the book at the time, but like leaning in, she's like, do not stand on the periphery of the discussion. Do not allow yourself to be there in that boardroom, lean in because you have a lot to offer. And if you make up your mind that you want to do something, then create that opportunity for yourself. So a lot of times in my career, I've made a point of creating the opportunity because it doesn't always just come to you. So really just trying to find that path so that you get to have that voice that you want to have is something that's stuck with me because it's easy sometimes to just step back and go, oh, maybe I should just listen, or maybe I should just wait and share my comment with someone afterwards, but really just, you know, being bold enough to, to lean in. And if you've got something to add or contribute to do that. Okay. Last question. If I'm ever to visit Newfoundland Labrador, where am I going? Okay. If you love to hike, there's just so many beautiful, the East coast trail is just gorgeous. If you like to have a beer, there's I do. Okay, a few. So George street has the most bars per capita in North America. So what? yeah, it's really, yeah. So I, I'm pretty sure someone might correct me, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's certainly kind of a really great balance of, you know, getting out and enjoying nature and then also enjoying some, you know, local beers and, and really great food. St. John's has fantastic kind of fish, but also other great restaurants. So mm. yeah. So, I mean, hiking, beer, fish, it's pretty good. This <laughs> is, lots, uh, well, me, me I, I probably can't eat the fish right now, but you know, no. maybe one day, <laughs> <That's> but, <right. laughs> but Hey, Nancy, really appreciate your time. I know you're very busy and I had a great conversation and learned a lot about what it means to have a successful career and work for a purpose driven organization like the ocean Supercluster. So thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It was great. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for another great episode of Marketing News Canada. I'm Ted. This is Nancy. We're signing off and I'll dream about fish and chips and you can go get some, Nancy. (laughs) I'll do. All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio, thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors, Travis Jeffers and The Podfather. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. 
by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.